Hello, Gooners, to a totally Arsenal podcast. I'm your host, Mornay, and as usual, Aiden. Hi, guys. Nine straight wins now. It's a really good time to be a Gooner, eh? Yeah, that was a solid performance. I mean, a real demolition job we did on Fulham. I think it was also a bit of a stroke of tactical genius with Emre all around, starting with the formation, the way he just targeted... The, the flanks of Fulham, especially I think it was it was the Donny guy who was always getting outnumbered on the wing and he kept on um, pushing and pushing on that side. It was no surprise that we actually broke through on that side with the first goal with Montreal, the overlap and a nice cutback. You know, I was actually surprised also that, that uh, you were mentioning now that, that um, the right back of Fulham also, he was always being like, you know, lured into midfield, like, you know, when we were like knocking the ball around, the likes of Torreira and, and, and uh, Xhaka. And you could see he was almost like constantly pulling himself so far out. The minute we spread the ball out wide to Mondre, whoever was out on the left, then you know, okay, that's going to be the pocket already that they're going to run into. And, and it's something very new as a as an Arsenal fan to see because Wenger would normally set up a team this way for game A, B, C, D, E, F, the same thing, but mm-hmm. if they try something completely different. And you know, Aiden, also another thing um, with regards to tactics and the, like sometimes, um, I don't know if you recall also Wenger would sometimes go almost like like for like, eh? Yes. Then you end up with almost like, uh, say, 3-5-2 versus 3-5-2. Then you had a, a midfield of 10 players and nothing is happening. And, you know, you don't have that re- creativity to get out of that at all. But I mean, seeing our formation up against that 3-5-2, it just shows you how we dominated it. And by the time um, uh, uh, Djokovic, our Fulham, the manager, when he, by the time he realized like what's going on, I mean, when he switched formations, I think that last, I don't know if it was the last quarter of the game or last half hour of the game, we even decided to go 4-4-2. And I mean, even then it was too late, like, you know, to play now with a flat back four and that. And, we were still in overrunning them, even with that, you know, that tactical change. So I fully agree with you. That was a masterstroke by Emery with the tactics. And I, I think Emery is like very proactive compared to how Wenger was reactive. Like Emery changes things before they fall behind, before <laughs> it gets too bad. So that's one thing I do like about him. And even the starting lineup, he started off with um, leaving the likes of Ramsey, Aubameyang on the bench. I mean, no one would have expected that because that's like mm. the of the team. And in the start of the season, he did say he wanted to build his team around the two of them, but yet he was able to still bring them from the bench. But I think like with Obama, since he missed out on the midweek game like a week before, I think it was not more down to, you know, getting to grips with stamina because, look, he had to miss a game with illness. So I think that was more just focused on, you know, easing him back, but yeah, that is, I think, what's so fantastic at the moment with the balance of the squad. Because, look, now you can now say, okay, a woman, you can rest. You can, you know, somebody else is going to take your place in it. So you take your time, you get uh, right and whatever, match fit, and then you're back in the squad again. Whereas, I think before, we'd either have somebody inexperienced or, you know, somebody that's really off form, just slotted in like it, and it, it's never really working. So it's almost like a machine. You can see it. You know, all the parts are now fitting perfectly and it's like they just know when exactly they're going to fall in, you know? 
that's what I'm enjoying watching as well. And, and like I said, for me, it's been impressive. I mean, this game as well, he led the line quite well. He was uh, potent in the box for that goal. I mean, with, 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 with regards to the game, it was almost like, you know, that first 20 minutes, we were somewhat, you know, shell-shocked the way yeah. they came out at us. Because, I mean, Leno had to pull off some yeah. brilliant saves. And I think it was almost like we were, with that formation, that 3-5-2, it was almost like you could see Arsenal had to now weather the storm. Because look, we were going to then come in for battering in a way. But you could see then, um, look, we had um, Robbie Savage as our co-commentator. And he was saying, the, the, the way he judged the game was like, you know, we're going to have to weather this storm or battering we're going to get like from Route 1 and things like that. But uh, as you can see, when we got to the like 24th, 24th minute mark, that has been also started putting their foot on the ball and knocking it around, letting... Them, like Fulham are chasing. And then, I mean, the breakthrough came on 29 minutes. Again, Gray, as you said, with Mondial, bombing down, getting the ball to Lacazette. And he, you know, for me, I thought he was actually going to go for the far corner, but yeah, he and he heated in at the near keeper's near post. I, I think there's a bit of sloppiness, though, for us, the way we conceded the goal. With Mondial needless giving that ball away to Vieto. And then from there... It was a straight play to Scherler to, to beat um, Leno, but the build-up, that, that was needless. I mean, you can't be giving yeah. goals away like that, especially if you're playing against a Fulham. I mean, you give that against Chelsea, whoever, they're going to punish you. And I mean, so that, I think, was, and it was just before halftime as well. I mean, he's supposed to be switched on. and because yeah. when, when he, he got the ball, I mean, as you said now, for me, it was really arrogant, like, you know, trying to play a cute little, you know, infield pass instead of just belting the ball upfield. Because, I mean, like, look, you're playing for time the last few min- like, minutes of the game. So, I mean, why, you know, get so cocky? But, you know, that was almost like a, a, a wake-up call for him as well because, I mean, second half, he, you know, you could see he was in the zone. So, I mean, you didn't see really any slack passes by Montreal. So... And, but, like, what, what I found fantastic was, Coming back from the halftime break, what is it? Not even three, four minutes into into the second half, and like I said, just restores the lead like that, two one. And I mean, before you're thinking, ah, oh, no, it's gonna be a frustrating game now. One always <clears throat> the lead, but immediately Arsenal just fought back, come back. Everybody probably gave them a, a stern team talk because the team came out two one, not even five minutes played in the second half. But, you know, Aiden, that goal, or oh, that second goal of, of Lacazette, you know, that really reminded me of those, you know, that five or seven-a-side goals, you know, where the ball just gets uh, hoofed up. Yeah. You know, somebody hits the ball down and you just smash it goalward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, <laughs> but uh, I think what followed after that with the substitutions of Emre, I think uh, we have a contender for goal of the season. That goal of oh, yeah. that made it 3-1. That was like watching the Arsenal of 0304, you know, pass, move, and then just bursting through uh, the field for space to get into space. Because, I mean, it was such a slick move. I mean, it starts with Ramsey, plays off to Ballerin, who like, does this audacious little back flick yeah. pass, and Ramsey gets it, <clears throat> excuse me, he uh, passes out wide. And also a brilliant pass by Makatarian, because, I mean, for me, you know, everybody was now okay with a Ramsey goal and 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 that uh, 
Obama Young assist, but for me, that, that technique, technique of, of uh, Mkhitaryan, it's like he killed that ball in air, brings it, and it played it so like a perfect flat pass for Obama Young. So it was almost like just, you know, just swing with your your standing foot for Obama Young, and he just like rolled it across for Rams to back you home. I think at that point, Fulham's heads probably dropped. I mean, a goal of that quality and to make it 3-1, I think after that, Arsenal just exerted the dominance on the game. And I think it was you that mentioned that we almost like kind of shut up shop with the 4-1 or something like that. Like we didn't still try to be too outrageous and gung over forward. It was just trying to pick them off then. Cause I, yeah, because at the end, I think we were playing something like Xhaka, and then with, him, with behind him was going Dozen Torreira. So it's almost like good luck trying to get through that. But it's, it's like um, Torreira's bringing out a better side of Xhaka. Eh? Like, I, I have no yeah. complaints about Xhaka at the moment. He's having a much better game or much better season compared to even how he was last season. Because just think of it also. Eh? Like, look, he's playing in the, the Mesut Ozil role, Xhaka at times. And he actually looks more comfortable playing in that, uh, you know, the final third, getting the, you know, threaded balls through and stuff like that. And then you get People like uh, Guendouzi and Torreira just cleaning up, winning the ball. Simple play out, nothing flash, nothing fancy, just getting the ball forward to the players. Yeah, and I think we've, we've been missing that for a long time. And I don't, I don't know if you heard that <laughs> Arsenal them, or Aubameyang and Ramsey um, made some record of the first players ever to come off the bench and assist each other, other for goals. Okay, that's a new stat for me, but good to know, Aiden. Yeah, it was it was it was quite interesting to to read something like that, and then Aubameyang also with two goals as well. I mean, the, the, like I said, and Aubameyang both I think are are thriving now, being on the same pitch with each other. Even though yes, like I said, got the goals without Aubameyang on the field, but as like the two of them, like you mentioned a few uh, in our podcast previously. Of the relationship the two of them have, you reminded them you of um, Kevin Campbell and Ian Wright. Because I mean, it was like real clinical finishes. I mean, the one was like a, a standard, you know, stop and turn, which also again flummoxed the keeper. And then uh, like the the last goal in injury time when Ramsey, with like a defense splitting pass, played the ball through for Aubameyang to run through and bag the fifth, like you know, for a solid. Goal and a solid three points for us. Uh, yeah, and, and and one thing I want to also mention is Victor Ballard, and it's like I don't know sometimes he was Lee Dixon on the right wing with his crosses. Sometimes it's, there's a massive improvement of. Yeah, he was he was on point. He was on point. Yeah. Whether that's aerial balls or that low flat ones, he was on point because <coughs> excuse me, he was like all time getting you know the making uh, or forcing the the Fulham players into you know rash clearances, just belting it. Needlessly into the crowd, or needlessly into for like for a corner. So that was, yeah, I agree with you. That was solid display from Pellerin as well, even though he gets such a lot of criticism. It, it just shows what he's capable of. I mean, I don't know if Wenger didn't like take him back to the drawing board and work on crosses, but I mean, it's like a lot of players seem to be thriving now compared to if you look at them last year. I mean. You would have expected us to need a whole overhaul of players, but it seems like everybody's coming into their own now. 
I mean, to be honest, I, I was first worried about, um, you know, I, I think, I don't know if it was you who was telling uh, Georgie and them, like our friend, our fellow Gooners as well, um, about, you know, like Iwobi signing on, Jaka signing on, and it's like, you know, part of you is like going, ah, you know, is that a good idea? And now when you see, like, if you take someone like Iwobi, it looks like you've got an improvement of 150% even from him. Like the work rate, the tackling, you know, you know, making himself available, making or setting things up for, for other uh, players and that. So uh, it's fantastic to actually watch this transformation in the, in the team as a, and in general. And you know, somebody that that I also want to take my hat off to is Rob Holding because look, he's the one at the moment who's stable, and the, um, people like Mustafi and, and Socrates they are getting rotated. Yeah. So that. I find it amazing. And I mean, if you think, if we can just hold on like this and, and, and stay in touching distance now, the top three and stuff like that, because he only comes back possibly late 2018 still. I mean, you could still make a comeback in December. I mean, they, they, they say they might push it for January, but even so. So it just shows you what uh, what can happen. And I mean, if, if we need to, what if even someone like Callum Chambers comes back if like an emergency they can also fall in immediately yeah uh, <laughs> we can do like a kind of a Vincent company thing with Koshiano because previously it seemed like he had to be rushed in and he had to play because there was no other alternative he can be wrapped up in cotton wool and you can play him in this game and that game and like you can choose you can choose the games you want to play him in so I think also maybe he will thrive a bit with the proper defensive um, positioning of, of Torreira playing in front of the back four. I think that has made a massive, a massive difference, as I mentioned. So I think his game will even improve even more. He won't have to make as much rash tackles and diving in, rushing in for challenges anymore. You know, and, and that is what also is, at times it does frustrate me when you see... Um, Excuse me. <coughs> Things going so smoothly, like with this new tactical setup, and then you think to yourself, you know, had Wenger, you know, put his ego aside and actually listened to what pundits were saying, what fans were saying, then we wouldn't have had a situation where we were, you know, we were always looking for that guy to help us in front of the defense or that guy to break things up in the central, in in, in the middle of the park. So that is what, in a way, sometimes frustrates me also when I think of the Wenger legacy because it, it shouldn't have had to be like that or so bad because look at it now I mean you see this this type of wall that, that Guendouzi or Torreira when they come in and I mean it's like you can see that is what we've been yearning for for years now for years yeah it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to to figure out what was missing at Arsenal and I think we always used to mention it's always like you sign a one player and then we miss another player and then we don't sign that player for a few seasons and then one player leaves and then we sign the player that we needed and then we're missing the player that left again. So, Wenger was always very reactive. But that makes uh. it good that we we won all those winnable fixtures. Previously, we probably could have dropped a point here and they maybe even got knocked out of a, of a cup competition. But it seems like the winnable games... Arsenal are winning, and I feel the next four fixtures is what Leicester, Palace, Lisbon, and Blackpool. 
I think that's before we head off or before Liverpool come to the Emirates. I really think those games uh, we we should also come away with the three points. And I mean, from you now to what we now also should take note of, you know, on the side, like uh, is after this uh, international break now, just to watch how Liverpool are going on because. For me, it looks like, I mean, I don't know, maybe this thing gives them the sort of respite that they needed. But for me, it's almost like they were going off the boil last, like, say, two and a half weeks or so. They don't look, you know, as sharp. Maybe, they, yeah, they get the results and that whenever they need to. But that that sharpness, that, that, that spark, it's like, I don't know, they don't have it at the moment. Yeah, they, they had it swagger. <laughs> Start of the season, they played with this kind of swagger. And it's, it's like without Salah, not clicking at 100%. Liverpool's attack seems a bit flat. They may be a bit more defensively stable, but their offense is not as fluid and as, as sharp as, as it was at the start of the season and the back end of last season. So, you're definitely right there with Liverpool. And even for me with City as well, they don't... Yes, they punished Cardiff, but they don't seem also that convincing as they were last season. Because didn't people also have now a whole rant the other day because of that game also that they won? Because he actually, it was something he was not happy about with, with regards to how that game played out. I don't know if it was like the way they slacked off at the end or something like that. But I mean, he was, because I thought, hey, how can you now make such a big deal now over, you know, you got the points already, but look, he's... He holds his standards very high with his coaching and that, so I think that is why he also gave the team stick. I, I think as well. I think City is also missing Kevin De Bruyne as well. I, I, I don't. I didn't actually realize what a massive miss he's been actually in the in the team. And it seems also maybe also that the teams are figuring him out. I mean, the Champions League games, City haven't been winning convincingly either. So I don't know. Maybe mm. like you mentioned in a personal message to me that. At Arsenal, maybe got City. Now it could have been a different game than it was to start. Yeah, because I'm just thinking with regards to also like you know with other teams. Look, of course they say yeah, focus on your own team, fine. But I was just uh, look for us. Our situation is we need to get in the top four, and you know whether we get in there or by crook, we're gonna have to see that we get in there. And like also looking at at Tottenham, they are now also getting injured. I think. But Tongan's now out till end of the year with a hamstring problem. And there's question marks of on of Delhi Ali because uh, they fire they're noticing that they also pushing him to find and I mean Harry Kane has not really had a thorough break. And if he breaks down as well, they they could have problems and, and uh, that uh what's it guy? Song or Son, sorry. He's also not had a break, he's gone straight from the World Cup, played a couple of games in the Premier League. Played in the Asia games and then back into the you know the the, uh, the Premier League again. So you that sort of workload that they like even Spurs are putting on their players. And if you look at their bench, normally on a match day, they don't have that many big names like oh, that can come up and save the day. So if things go wrong there, I think it could you know things can uh, go wrong for Spurs also over the course of the season. The, the bench kind of reminds me of Arsenal uh, a few seasons or like a few years back, actually, when you look at the bench and you think, if the starting eleven on the field doesn't win the game for us, there isn't a way for us to win the game then. Like, there's nobody on the bench. Yeah. 
change the thing. So <laughs> it's 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 actually a good thing to actually see that that's happening to our rivals now and not us. Yeah. So okay, we're gonna stop now with the match review. So I'm just gonna bring up some pointers that are now jotted down. Just like little discussion points for the last little bit of the podcast. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw, there was an article of Jurgen Klopp the other day where he stated that the Europe Nations League is like a flop. Cause, and, you know, I didn't take note of it much because I don't know with international football at times, and this is a major tournament, I don't really, you know, watch these games. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and then he, the minute he said that, and I started looking at the groups and, and you know, the way the tournament is run, and I was thinking to myself, then why not, like, if, if I was uh, FIFA, why not still keep your, like, you know, friendlies and with the world, like, whatever qualifiers come around, European qualifiers or World Cup, you let that happen in that group stuff. But in that in-between stuff, that, that uh, international breaks, we don't have any competitive uh, things. Then you, you let the, the, the big nations play in the normal friendly, but you let the smaller nations then play in this nations thing. So, then eventually, like maybe the group winners, like of say four of the groups or whatever, then you let them go through to because I know uh, look, the European Championships are going to be expanded, and I think with time, the World Cup will also be expanded to like you know, letting Minos and whatever. But yeah. there's nothing rather do that. Then you can, then you can like let the Gibraltar or Malta or San Marino play in this, uh, this Europe Nations League. Yeah, that sounds a bit interesting because for, for for me even I'm not even interested in this Nations League. I'm not even interested in this Nations League. So, I, for as a football fan, I'm not. Uh, yeah, they should they should look for something a bit more lucrative and interesting to watch or to to bring in for the for the fans to watching this time. And I mean. I think also that uh, uh, players need a break as well. So by having the friendlies, the people aren't really forced to like select the yeah. players come and play. I mean, like, I just want to give you an example now. Wales played the other night in Spain, which was like should have been like a, a major draw card for, like I said, the Welsh fans or whatever. Gareth, the minute they found out, I think two days before, three days before, Gareth Bale is not going to make the game. You know how many people decided now not to either buy tickets or to go to the game? Because that stadium is like where they were going to play at uh, the, the Wales, uh, at the National Stadium. It's a two-tier stadium. It's like, you know, it's a big ground. Can you believe they only managed to fall just barely the bottom? The top, all top tier was empty. And I mean, that is now, that's, that's all now just because someone like Bale, because look, they were now thinking, okay, this is going to be now a, Something major, or whatever. Because look, he's like their golden boy, and yeah, with him not being there, it's almost like it took away that that that, that gloss. You know, what could have been something big now, a big fixture. That basically just defeats the whole purpose of everything. I mean, okay, pull this, pull that Millennium Stadium. And also, I mean, boy, I think I'm so shocked that I was going to discuss it with you the other day, like via private text. Uh, that of luck is it? I'm, I don't know what is there something between. They chomp on him that, you know, a riff or whatever. Because when I looked at the squad, when it came out, and even the, that, that, that squad that played now against Iceland the other day, he's not even in, not even on the bench or anything, or not even called up as a standby or anything for the, for the French team. 
Yeah, something uh, Of course, it's it's to our benefit now because look, we're getting another best of like that you know, if he's fresh and whatever and, and deadly as well. Because look, he's still now. You know, he, I think he also wants to show Deshaun. You know, look what you're missing out on. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Maybe like I think he is better than the, some of the strikers that's in the French squad, no doubt. And I mm. think I actually wanted to bring to your attention. I don't know. If there's rumors are true, but I saw that Aaron Ramsey said he's not gonna leave in January. So I don't know what. Look, the thing is that that, that is a he can say that, or him and his agent can't say that. But look, at the end of the day, he is an Arsenal player. We own him. We own that. You know, yeah, we pay his salary. So if we decide, look, we're not gonna, we're not for this. We're gonna then look for. You know, buyers, potential buyers, no. So, because I, I honestly don't think he's going to, he might, or his agent might try to think, they are all the, 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 you know, the aces. But at the moment, I think it's going to come down to whether Arsenal need him, you know, and it's going to, where he can now work his, his contract down. Or if we think, you know, cut our losses, we're going to make 25, 35 million from this. And then invested immediately in somebody because look the new setup at Arsenal. I don't think they're gonna muck about really if we do sell. You know, yeah. they will immediately. They, they'll probably have like two or three targets already lined up, thinking, okay, he leaves, this guy's gonna step in. And uh, so far, from what I've heard, I don't think it's gonna be a like for like thing because look, we wanted to get the winger in the summer already, and that that that. Ismail Saar, that is actually one of the targets for us as a winger. Because, you know, just what you also mentioned earlier, that was when we were talking about Jaka, and we've got so many people that can play in that Ramsey role. You've got Ozil, you've got Mkhitaryan that can play in the midfield if we need be. You've got even Jaka that can play in that role. So I think we, 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 we don't like spoil for choice. So I don't think it, it will hurt us that bad. A lot of, even Ian Wright also said, you don't think it will hurt us that bad too. Losing, even though he, you know, he's he's truly valuable player, truly valuable player. I mean, I would personally would, would want to keep him, but I don't think it's a major loss if, you know, whether he stays or goes type of thing. No, that is true because Pandit and Rio Ferdinand, or, or, or so one of them said it's like the Arsenal team with or without Aaron Ramsey at the moment. There's no big shock to the team without him, and there's no massive change with him in the team. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I just hope now that, you know, we can get uh, some sort of solution. I mean, if we can even squeeze out something and keep him, or with uh, shows like, you know, January, yeah, we're going to rather keep him on for another two or three years, then fine. I'll be happy with it. But yeah. okay, I'm going to I need to rest my throat because I've been struggling the past week with bad problems with my throat. So, I wanted to get this podcast out to the People at least listen to us. Okay, I hope you that that throat um, heals quite quickly because there's gonna be a lot of games coming quick and fast. Yeah. Okay then. Take care, okay. fellow. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week again. Bye. Cheers, guys. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android. <laughs>